morning, good morning. Once again, it is an honor and a privilege for me to be here with you guys again, just family. And uh, all of Bedrock says hello to Bedrock Sarasota, and I'll make sure to tell all them that you said hello, and it's just a beautiful thing to be a part of family. Um, and to be with friends this week, to be with Blake and Kelsey and to hang out for Jesse and Jonathan and I to spend time with them. It's been amazing. But we learned some things about your pastor this week, so I want to share some of those things with you because I'm up here and he's not, and so I have the right to do so. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but Pastor Blake enjoys playing golf. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, so I'm going to make you aware. He does enjoy that. So if any of you have opportunities, take your pastor out to play golf. He would love to go. So we went to go play golf. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, that's not a hill upon which to die. Anybody ever, ever heard that phrase? Like your husbands in the room have heard that from time to time. Like, are you sure you want to die on this hill right now? Is that, is that the plan? Is that what we're going to do? Is this what we're doing? Right. There are some things that are worth the risk and some things that are not right. Like, are you really willing to die on this hill? So we're playing golf, beautiful course, beautiful day. And uh, we're hitting golf balls as far as we can. And there was a ball that went extremely way right, okay? Now, on this beautiful course, which by the way, if you play golf at all, you probably know, there's a lot of water uh, on your golf courses down here. We're not used to that much water in Virginia. It's a lot of water, right? So we had purchased, Jonathan and I, because we didn't bring our clubs down here. We just rented some and went to Walmart and grabbed a box of balls. So we have a limited number of golf balls by which to play said game with today, right? Well, one of them goes way right into these beautiful homes that are over there. And we heard something that sounded like maybe it hit something solid, right? In between us and that Walmart golf ball is this body of water and a sign that says, watch out for alligators, right? Because apparently you guys have some gators down here in Florida, right? Some of you are like, careful, that's not a hill on which you want to die on right now. Some Florida State fans might be in here. So I understand, I get it. So apparently there's gators in this water, and then there's trees and weeds, and I don't know what kind of snakes might be in those weeds. And then there might be a semi-angry homeowner waiting for me with the golf ball in his hand over there. So I have to make a decision. Am I going to wade through the alligator-infested lake? Am I going to walk through the possibly snake-infested weeds to deal with an angry homeowner to go get my Walmart golf ball? Guess what decision we made? That was not a hill upon which to die, right? Like that, that risk far outweighs the value of that golf ball, right? There are some things in your life, especially in the church and in our culture today, that are hills upon which to die. The value is worth the fight. There's one of those things that I feel like we need to talk about today. You see, because Blake gave me freedom to preach whatever I wanted to today. Now, this is dangerous. I had the honor of wrapping up the Church Hurt series last Sunday, and this one is kind of a one-off, right? Next week, you're going to start a new series in 1 John. It's going to be great. This is a gap filler. 
whatever I want. If I'm going to preach anything one time in any church, especially a bedrock church, it's probably going to be this message because this is a hill upon which I will die. We need to have a conversation about the word of God today and just how important this book is and why it should be important to you and why it better remain a centerpiece of this pulpit in this bedrock church. We need to have a conversation about the inerrancy, the infallibility, the inspiration of the word of God today. I don't know if you've seen a lot of things out there, but there is a falling away from this. I'm putting a stake in the ground and saying, we're not going any farther. So let's talk about it today. There is a passage I want to introduce to you in the introduction. This is just the introduction. So hopefully by now you're, you're leaning in and going, okay, I want to hear what this guy's going to say today. There's a passage that I want to share with you that's going to introduce some terms today. So bear with me for a second. I'm about to, to put on my Dr. Dowd glasses, Liberty professor, seminary class. Here we go, stuff. I promise you this is only in the intro, but it's important, okay? Dr. Harkup would also agree with the importance of these words, okay? Second Timothy chapter three introduces some context for our message. Let's look at it together. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is mentoring his student, Timothy, okay? And in doing so, he reminds him to die upon this hill. This is a big deal. It was a big deal in his culture, and it's a big deal in our culture today. This is what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, just to introduce some things. It says this, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned And what you've firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, by the way, he learned it from his mama and from his grandma. That's who he learned it from, okay? So it's important for me as grandma church to come teach this lesson today, all right? This is what it says. How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pause there for just a second. Let's not just skip over that as we're introducing some things. I want you to understand something. When he's talking about the sacred writings or to Timothy, he's talking about the first half of this book, this thing called the Old Testament. But that's important. It's very important. Why is it important? Because apparently the, the old section of this book were able to make Timothy wise unto salvation. Wait, I can get saved by reading the Old Testament? Yes. Yeah, but it's a different thing, right? No, it says salvation through faith. Faith, Old Testament, mm-hmm. not just faith, faith in Christ Jesus. That's a big deal. That means we don't unhitch our wagon from the Old Testament. They are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's a big deal. Then it says this, all scripture, all of it, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. There's a lot in there to introduce. So let me introduce a few terms. Here comes Professor Dr. Dowd's about to teach for just a second, okay? We got a couple of Liberty students in the room today. I see y'all. What's up? Here's some words. Let's talk about inerrancy, 
and infallibility. Look at these, look at these words up on the screen. When it says in 2 Timothy, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Like you're familiar with the holy words. That means they're different. They're set apart. They're completely unique. There's something special about these. They are sacred. They are holy words. Different. Not just different, perfect. So if we say that these words are holy, sacred, perfect, set apart, completely unique, completely different... What that means is they are inerrant, or that's just a fancy way of saying without error, inerrant, without errors. You say, what does that mean? It simply means this. Everything in here is 100% true in all that it says. This is a true book. And if these words are true, then they are infallible without the possibility of being wrong. They are inerrant. They are infallible. What does that mean? If they're 100% true, then they're 100% trustworthy. Like, I don't know, man, inerrancy, infallibility. Some of you in the room right now are like, yes, I'm getting out a fork and a knife. We're chewing on some steak today. Some of you are like, I don't, you lost me at inerrant something. Okay. This is what we do at Bedrock all the time. We are constantly preaching to the PhD and the ADD every time, all right? So I I got you, all right? Stay with me, okay? Here's what that means. It means the Bible is true and trustworthy. What you have in front of you is a source of truth and you can trust it, okay? If they're true and they're trustworthy, then they should be authoritative, It says in that passage that they were able to make him wise into salvation. That means there's something in here that that should carry weight with me. It should matter to me. If these words are true and trustworthy, then I should probably listen. And you need to understand something here at Bedrock Community Church. We believe these things. The elders believe these things. So that when Blake preaches or anybody preaches from this pulpit, myself included, listen to me. We are not over the word of God. The word of God is over us. It is the authority. My words don't change lives. These words do. So it's very, very important that we preach these words. This is what carries authority. You know why? Because I'm errant. I'm fallible. So it's important that we teach the source that's not those things. So if they're holy words, if they are true, if they're trustworthy, it should carry some weight in my life. And if that's true, then they are relevant to me. As the day they were written, they relate to my life today. And if they're authoritative and relevant, then it says that the man of God may be perfect, complete, equipped for every good work. That means they are sufficient for anything that God is calling me to do. You need to understand something. God has given us a source that is true and trustworthy. It should carry weight with you. It relates to you right where you're at today. And it's sufficient to do what God's called you to do. And he's given you a copy of it. That's what this is. Okay. Here we go. Seminary class over, Bibliology 101, done. Right. You're like, so what? How do we know that's true? You can't just throw big words at us and us go, wow, that must be true. He sounds smart. Listen, that's not what this moment is. All of that is only true if this phrase in that passage is true. The phrase is, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's that's the linchpin. 
That's either true or it's not. If it's true, every word breathed out by a holy almighty God, then all of those words are true and trustworthy and carry weight. If they're not, you have every right to question what's in here. So we can talk about inerrancy and infallibility all day long, but what we really need to talk about today is another word called inspiration. They're either God's words or they're not. The reason that they're God's words is because we believe they are inspired. God breathed out words. In order to understand what that means, let's turn to our main passage, which is in 2 Peter chapter 1. So as you're finding that, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word. It is perfect. We believe it is without error. It's true in all that it says. And so we can trust it as a source of truth for my life today. It's relevant to what I'm going through right now. It's sufficient to meet me right where I am and and to help me take one step forward to where you want me to be. God, thank you for giving us this very special revelation of who you are and what you've called us to do. God, would you use your word today, not mine, to change our hearts, to call us to obedience, to faith, to trust you more, and to live according to your wisdom. God, have your will and your way in this place, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If they're inspired, we need to understand what that means. Second Peter chapter one, so whether you got a phone, tablet, one of these old things here that open up and there's pages in them, whatever you got. Second Peter chapter one. Peter's explaining this, this is what he says. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. Okay? So Peter's saying, I'm telling you, I've been there, done that, heard it, saw it, walked with him. I'm telling you, it was crazy. It was awesome, amazing. He was baptized. Dove came down, voice from heaven. We saw the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was glowing. It was crazy town. And then he says this, and it blows my mind. This is what he says next. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Now that's crazy. Peter says, I'm telling you, I was there, saw it, heard it, felt it, walked through it, was with Jesus. And I'm telling you, Peter says, we have something now more sure than that. Wow. Something more true and trustworthy than your own experiences? Mm -hmm. Prophetic word, yes. How's that possible? You got to explain that to me. That makes no sense. Peter says, all right, I got you. He says, by the way, what we have is more fully confirmed. We would probably do well to pay attention to it. I love that. I love Peter going, and it's probably a good idea to to probably read it. If God wrote a book, we should probably read it. It's like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He says, until Jesus comes again and we go home, we have this. 
Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever, ever, ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Oh, there it is. That's what inspiration means. You say, you haven't helped me out because you still, uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. What do you mean carried along by the Holy Spirit? Great question. So let's go there. Let's talk about it. There's three things from this passage that I want you to see this morning. When Peter says, we have something more fully confirmed, more sure, more trustworthy, more true than those things, what is he saying? That the word of God, number one, is more trustworthy than what we hear or what we read. We say, where do you get this from? Go back to the text. This is... This is what expository preaching is. The main idea comes from the passage, inspiration. The outline's going to come from the passage. So let's walk through it together. The word of God is more fully confirmed and more trustworthy than what we see or what we, or what we hear or what we read. Here's what he says. We did not follow, verse 16, cleverly devised myths. Let's talk about that for a second. They were starting to accuse Peter and the apostles of coming up with this whole Jesus thing. Like, you just made that up. He's some fictional character. Died on a cross, rose again, whatever. This is just another tale. Just another story that people tell on the side. I don't even know what this is. Some of that stuff was, was swarming. And Peter says, no, 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 listen, no. This is not a cleverly devised myth. And then he goes on to substantiate that. Like, no, I was there. I saw it. Been there, done that. This is why he goes there. What he's saying is, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. How many of you know there are a lot of very cleverly devised lies in our culture, in our world today? But it sounds so good. It sounds so right. And it's really pretty and packaged together. And if you just believe it, it'll be fine. And then it doesn't deliver on its promise It's a very cleverly devised myth. Yeah, but some really smart people out there. Well, a myth is a story without basis in fact. This would have been something in that culture they would have understood. There was a lot of Greek mythology in that culture. There's mention in the New Testament of Artemis, this Greek god of fertility. They even thought Barnabas was Zeus for a minute and Paul was Hermes. And so Artemis and Zeus and Hermes. And so they understood mythological, fictional narratives and characters. Paul even went to Athens, the epicenter, and met a bunch of really, really smart dudes. In fact, they were called Epicurean philosophers and Stoic philosophers. What does that mean? I don't know, but it sounds really smart, right? It's like... What do you do? I'm a philosopher. Oh, good for you. What kind? Epicurean. Ah, sweet. I'm stoic. Wow, it's fantastic. Good for you. What do you guys do? Oh, we all sit in a circle called the Areopagus, and we just kind of wax philosophical all day long and just talk. Y'all ever do anything? Ah, we talk a lot. So let me get this straight. A bunch of people who think they're really, really smart get in circles and talk about things that are too smart for the rest of us. Yeah, welcome to 2023, right? Like like nothing has changed much from that. 
Yeah, but no, you understand I'm really smart. Uh, okay, well, good for you. There are a lot of really, really smart people out there. And you go, is this the moment where we're going to talk about some of those things? I'm going to be like, all right, here we go. The PhD just leaned in a little bit more, right? The ADD just went, okay, what are we talking about? The PhD went, hmm, right? Is this the moment where I start talking about Descartes and Locke and Spinoza and Hume and Kant and Kierkegaard and Boltmann? And you're like, please talk about Nietzsche. I'm like, oh, I'm, that's, this is not the moment. It's not the moment. We're like, were you going to talk about um, idealism or naturalism or pantheism or philosophical agnosticism or essentialism, postmodern? Where are we going? This is not an existential conversation. So what are we talking about? Some of you right now can't wait to get done with this because you're going to go grab lunch and you're going to go watch the latest Jordan Peterson YouTube video. Because that dude's really, really smart. He says smart things in big words. Yeah, he's really smart. So how do you know the difference? I can read a lot of things today. I can watch a lot of videos online. And just because it showed up on TikTok, it might not be true. I don't know if you knew that or not. But we're bombarded by things that we can hear and listen to and read. I don't know about you, but I need a source of truth that's trustworthy, that's more trustworthy than what I can see or read or hear online right now. Psalm 19 describes the word of God this way. Look at this passage in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, perfect, it's sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, perfect, sure, right, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous. I need righteous, true, pure, clean, sure words in my life. And I can't guarantee that that's going to come off the internet for you. Where can I get that? I know these are. I know that this is a more true and trustworthy source for me than those things. You say, why do you say that? Some smart people out there, uh, granted. My friend, John G., um, the history of bedrock, about 15 years ago, we'll celebrate 15 years this, this September. Uh, myself and Jeremy Minor and John G. Tate, our families moved into the Bedford area and started a little church in Bedford, Virginia called Bedrock Community Church. And, and God's just blessed it. It's been unbelievable what God's done. But John G. likes to farm a little bit. Anybody here like to grow things like in the ground, you plant it, water it, and it grows and produces things? Strawberries down here, right? Like that's, that's a big deal. And I'm glad that you do because they are delicious, right? Well, back home, we like to grow some, some tomatoes. Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Let me get the contextual vernacular. Maters. We grow maters back home. Okay, so Johnji's driving back from a camp that we go to in North Carolina. My son's working there right now. And he sees on the side of the road something like this. It's not this, something like this. Apparently, you can grow tomatoes on a trellis. No idea, okay? He sees this, and there's a guy out there farming it. So he, as Johnji would, if you knew him, Johnji is a um, jump first, think fifth kind of guy, okay? 
uh, I'm a think first, think second, think third, think fourth, maybe jump fifth kind of guy, right? Paralysis by analysis, half the room, you get me, right? So he just pulls over, hey, what's happening? Uh, my name's John G. And can you tell me how you grow all these tomatoes? And Farmer Brown comes out and says, oh, well, yeah, we just put these tomatoes on a trellis and I just water them. And my daddy taught me and his daddy taught him. And we've had a couple generations growing tomatoes and we got the best tomatoes in the valley. Everybody talks about our tomatoes. We're really good at growing them. Well, that's awesome. Well, I'm going to take some notes about your process and I'm going to go home to Bedford and try to grow tomatoes that way because you seem like you know what you're doing. So he tells us this story, and I think, because again, uh, don't run me out of town for this, I'm a hokey, uh, I like Virginia Tech, hey, Hunter, this is not the moment, don't laugh at my Virginia Tech hokey love. So they're really good at agriculture in Blacksburg, Virginia. Teach it, lead in it, they're great at it. So in my mind, I'm like, well, what if I went to Virginia Tech? And I said, hey, professor so-and-so, doctor, whoever you are, who's the best here at agriculture? Well, this doctor. Okay, great. Can you go see Farmer Brown down in North Carolina and take a look at his setup? And he shows up and says, wow, this is pretty impressive. This is really, really good. Uh, I'm going to take some soil samples and take it back to my lab in Blacksburg, and we're going to run some spreadsheets and some charts and some graphs and here's what I've determined. Your soil is the, the mineral content's okay, but if you added 10% more of this, and if you decided to water three times a day instead of twice, once early, once late, once midday, then what you're going to find is eventually you're going to have a 20% increased crop production, and your tomatoes are going to be 16% larger and 10% more red and juice in... Well, man, that dude... I mean, thank you, Farmer Brown, but my goodness, thank you, scientist, doctor, whoever you are. You're really good at tomatoes. So who am I going to go to for tomatoes? Um, there's a third option. What if I went to the creator of the tomato, right? I said, hey. And God looks at Farmer Brown and Dr. So-and-so and says, that's adorable. That is so cute. You're this close to getting it right, right? I've made tomatoes, and I'm pretty sure I know how to grow them. You have three sources available to you. Somebody you know that you think is really, really good or somebody online who you think is even smarter than that person, or the source of truth. These are the words of God, and they are more trustworthy than anything you can hear or read today because they're inspired. Number two, the word of God is more trustworthy than what we experience or feel. Oh, this is a biggie. This is a biggie. We live in an information crazy world. You can get it instantaneously from your phone. But now, even if I don't trust that, you're like, fine, I get it. Wikipedia is not the source of truth that it should be, fine. But you understand, I felt it. You don't know what I've experienced. And it's true for me, okay? This is where Peter goes next. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. You don't get any higher than the majestic glory. 
And he said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I'm telling you, I heard it with my ears. I saw it with my eyes. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. He was transfigured. He was glowing. It was crazy. I was there. I was in the moment. You don't understand. I was in the room where it happened. And I just, I felt it. And this was happening. And I just experienced this amazing thing. And it was so, so true. And Peter says, I'm telling you, We have something more sure than what I experienced and what I felt in that moment. That's a big statement for Peter to make. Something for us to wrestle with. Because there are people that were not sure that Peter experienced that. They're like, I don't know. You you didn't see that. You didn't hear that. You heard something different. Who else saw it? Who else else was there that that saw it? What are you talking? You didn't see that. Come on, man. That's not what happened. I'm telling you, uh, maybe, maybe not. So he begins to say, well, what if I told you, even if you don't believe my eyewitness testimony account, that I could give you something that's even more sure than that, more trustworthy than what we experience or what we feel. This morning, before you came here, I'm assuming some of you um, looked in the mirror to get ready for today. I chose this shirt today. I like it. I chose these pants to go with it and these shoes because I had to pack a suitcase and it's the only shoes I had. So these are the shoes I'm wearing today. But then I look in the mirror and I go to fix my hair. And um, once again, why the, this is not the joke portion of the, every hair is in place today as I want it to be. No hair is out of place today. You got here and you did your best to get ready. Some of you clearly did not, right? And you know, good for you. You just, you just kind of, you do your thing and God bless you, you know? Some of you in the room, you, you understand my, my, my hair choice, right? I, I feel you, fist bump in the deal. I do, I do use product in my hair, if you knew this or not. Specifically this week in Florida. It's, uh, it's called SPF, right? I... Daily application for all of this, right? You get me. You know what I'm talking about. So, but we look into there and we figure it out. And here's the, here's the thing with mirrors. Mirrors don't lie, right? I look into that and I put it together and I look at my wife. I'm like, babe, this, I, it is what it is. This is, this is as good as it gets. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry, but this is it. Mirrors don't lie. They show you. Real. I feel really handsome today. And the mirror's like, meh. (laughs) Snow White, right? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest out of all of them? And the mirror's like, ah, this is going to be awkward. Uh, It's Snow White. Can you one time just say me? Just because one time, I, it is what it is. It's Snow White. It ain't you, right? James chapter one says this. Look at this passage. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So it pictures this word like a mirror. And when we look into it, the mirror doesn't lie. It's the perfect law. What that means is when I look in this, I go, ooh, uh, I'm not perfect. Correct. I've got some flaws. Yes. I fall short of the glory of God. Yes. I miss the mark that's been set. Yes. That's a problem. That's a problem. But here's the greatest part about that passage. It says it's the perfect law. Then it says it's the law of liberty. You go, it doesn't sound very liberating to me. It sounds horrible. It sounds condemning, which is why I avoid it. Because I don't want to read something that's made me feel bad. So let's just not read it. I'd rather have blissful ignorance than awareness. So I'll just. But then it says it's the perfect law, the law of liberty. How is it the law of liberty? Because not only does it tell me who I really am, truly. It reveals to me who I really am. But it also reveals who Jesus really is. It tells me about a God who loves me in spite of me. It tells me about a Jesus who came and lived a perfect life and died in my place. It shows me what I deserve, and it shows me that God put all of it on his son Jesus for me. And when I read Romans 5, 8, when it says that God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Now this perfect law is liberating. I can have freedom in Christ. There's grace and there's mercy. There's truth and there's sin and it is what it is, but there's grace and there's mercy for those who will place their faith in Christ. This perfect law then becomes a law of liberty for me. Everyone has a standard that they're trying to, when they look in the mirror, what do you allow to set the standard for you? Are you going to be led by your standard or by the standards of this world or what God has said in his perfect law that's freedom for you and for me? What voices do you choose to listen to? What are you choosing to read that's directing your decision-making right now? When God says, I provided you what you need in this life. Because here's what happens. If I make decisions based upon experiences or feelings, the one thing I know about feelings is that feelings do what? They change. Then I need a source of truth that never changes. Is there anything like that? It's more trustworthy than what I experience or feel. Thirdly and lastly, the word of God is more trustworthy than what we think or say. You say, you don't know me. I'm really smart. Good. Are we basing decisions in our life based upon what we think is right 
what I say and declare is right or what God has said in his word. This is what it says. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. These aren't the thoughts and words of men. How's that possible? No prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's really the clinch, the clincher for this message. It's inspired or it's not based upon that being true or not. Are these the words of man written down on a piece of paper? Did, did Peter write these words or was he carried along by the Holy Spirit to write these words down? In the few moments we have together, let me try to just briefly give you this picture. When it says carried along, another way you can interpret that word is to be moved or to be driven. It's like a, a boat out here in, in the bay, out here in the Gulf, a sailboat. And as soon as you put the sails up, the, the wind fills the sails and drives the boat where the boat will go. Or it's a leaf in a stream. The leaf just goes wherever the stream takes it. It's carried, it's driven by that stream, by that wind. In fact, the same word is used to describe Paul's shipwreck in Acts. God needed Paul in that place. He was on a boat, and so the storm pushes the boat to that destination. And so what drove the boat, what pushed the boat, what carried the boat along to get it to where the destination that God wanted it to be is the picture we have here. That God is able to move, drive, carry along to get to the destination that God desires. Carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let me show you some examples quickly. Exodus chapter 4, we have this of Moses. I'm just going to give you a couple. Let's go patriarch, let's go prophet, uh, let's go king. Let's go prophet, priest, king. Let's do this. Moses said to the Lord, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Here's the problem. God is showing up to Moses. He's speaking in a bush. By the way, we would all love for that to again happen today. That'd be great. God, if you can just tell me what you want me to do by burning that bush over there, that'd be awesome, right? He does this for Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, talk to Pharaoh and go get my people. And Moses is like, you got the wrong dude. I'm not really good at speaking. In fact, he says this, either in the past or since you've spoken. Like there's never been a time when I've been good at this. Before Jesus or after Jesus, it's just not my thing. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, you got to love this. Who made your mouth? <laughs> Who makes man mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the capital L-O-R-D, Lord? Therefore, go, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you should speak. So we have this moment where he's like, Moses, I just need you to go that way. And once you get there, just open your mouth. I'm going to put words in it. Huh, interesting. What about Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter one, prophet Jeremiah says this about him. Then I said, I, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a youth. Can I speak to all the young adults in the room and the youth and the teenagers? Don't you ever look at God and say, I'm too young to do something for you. That's a lie. God's calling you to say something. You need to go do it. Jeremiah was like, you got, you got the wrong dude. I'm just a teenager, man. I'm just a kid. I'm a youth. And the Lord said to me, don't you say to me, I'm only a youth. God's like, what, what is going on here? Like, why, why are y'all struggling? Like, I'm the capital L-O-R-D. You will go to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them because you're young. I'm with you to deliver you. And the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. 
And the Lord said to me, look at this. I have put my words in your mouth. Okay, now we're starting to see a pattern here. God can use anything he wants at any time he wants to put his words, to get his words out to his people. If we had time, I would tell you about Balaam and his donkey. I mean, God used a donkey. Look at Mark chapter 12. We see this of David. You guys remember David? We said prophet, priests, and kings. Look at kings. This is King David. David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord. And this is a quote from Psalms. So when David's writing these Psalms and singing these songs, those are words given to him by the Holy Spirit. You see a pattern here? Notice what it says in Acts chapter one. Again, it says this. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. The scripture which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. So now we see scripture, we see Holy Spirit, we see the means, which was the mouth of David. Scripture being written by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David. Look at Acts chapter 28, one more, it says this. Paul gives us one. Disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. <laughs> I love this. They're in an argument and the mic drop moment for Paul in the argument, Paul says this, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah, the prophet, go to this people and say this. And what he's saying is the Holy Spirit said this through Isaiah, the prophet. This is what it means to be carried along by the Holy Spirit. We, we're okay with the conversation about the Holy Spirit using the mouths of prophets. We struggle with the Holy Spirit using the pens of the apostles. It's the same process to get to the same result. It's just a different method. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write the words down that God wanted written. And we have a copy of it that's true and it's trustworthy. You know, we came down here and we've loved being down here. Uh, we, we found a place, we rented a place through Verbo. You guys know Verbo, right? It stands for Vacation Rental by Owner. I don't know if you knew that. I'm like, oh, wait, it stands for something? Yeah, it stands for something. Vacation Rental. I'm on vacation. I need to rent something. So we go on there and we find a place and the pictures are great. The kitchen's nice, the bedroom's nice, and the bathroom, there's a big shower. And how many of you know, you know, like camera angles make a difference, right? And it's like, man, that thing's massive, right? This place is huge, right? And then you got some reviews, they're all five-star reviews. And Susie said the kitchen was amazing. And Joe said that the, the bedrooms were great and the location was great. And Pete said something about the location. We're like, man, this is awesome. These pictures are great. The five-star reviews are there. Okay. Click, take my money, right? We're just like, I'm just going to trust it, right? I have no idea whether all of those pictures on that Verbo, they got off of Google somewhere. Like they just Googled nice bedroom and we'll take that one, right? Big kitchen, put it in there. And I don't know if the reviews were written by cousin Susie uh, and by grandma Myrtle, right? What am I supposed to say in this? Just click the fifth star, grandma. The one at the end, just click it and just put, I loved it. I, I have no clue, right? I'm just, it sounds good. Take my money, right? Here's the thing. I have family in Lakeland, and my family in Lakeland had been to this place and this area that we were trying to get to, and they were like, we're telling you. My Aunt Margie says, it's beautiful. 
You'll love it. We go all the time. We love it. You'll be there. There's a big difference between some random maybe Google picture and somebody's grandma clicking five stars and my Aunt Margie saying, that's a good spot. It's legit. You should go. And now that I've been there, it's legit. It was really good. It was some camera angles, but it was pretty nice, right? I'll say this to say this. This is not a collection of 66 positive verbo reviews. 66 people didn't have a good time with Jesus and give him five stars. These are God's words written down for you and I as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's more trustworthy. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here and join me, and I'm going to ask you a question because it really comes down to whether or not you believe that or not. Is it more trustworthy for you? Are they true? Are they trustworthy? Here's what I believe. There's a faith moment here. I believe that God created the universe. The one true holy God created the universe. The way he did that was by speaking words. He spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light. There was light. Words. Genesis 1. New Testament, John 1, the word who was with God and who was God became flesh and dwelt among us. God sent Jesus, a very special way to reveal himself to us. And this Jesus, the word made flesh, lived a perfect, inerrant life while he was here so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for you and for I. So when God created a perfect world by words, then he sent the word made flesh to live a perfect life, to die and rise again, has every ability to get a copy of words in front of you and I that are true and trustworthy that can lead us and guide us in the life he's called us to live. I believe that God's big enough to do that. And I believe that what you have in front of you are true and trustworthy words. If that's true, then this statement is is true. At the end of the day, here's the summary. You ready for this? If the Bible's inspired, they're either God's words or they're not. If they are, then they are inerrant because they're God's words. If they're inerrant, then they're infallible. If they're true, then they're trustworthy. If it's infallible, then it's authoritative. It should carry weight. If it's authoritative, then it's sufficient. And if it's sufficient, it should be relevant to my life. You have to wrestle with that slide right now. Is that true or not? If that's true, then Peter says in the middle of our passage, we have something that's more fully confirmed to which we would do well to pay attention. It's like a light shining in a dark place. Can I ask you something? You're in a dark place right now. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what areas of darkness, worries, fears, anxieties, decisions, choices, consequences, your own or somebody else's. Decisions you need to make that seem there's more darkness than light. I don't know to turn left or right here. I don't know. God's given us his word to be a light that shines in dark places. Have, have you looked here to find some direction, to find some hope 
for what you're going through. This is a source that's true and trustworthy for you. And this church exists to help you find it right here. We talk about it every Sunday from this pulpit. We want you to know the truth of God's word. We pray every church would, we believe preaching is simply saying what God's already said. I don't know where this message finds you, but if you're looking for some light, can I point you to the source of that? Some of you, you're like, no, I got it. I I got it. You don't need to convince me of that. Well, then can I ask you a question, church? Can I ask you this, Bedrock, Sarasota? When's the last time you spent some quality time right here? Honestly. And you can tell me or Blake one thing, but God knows the, when's the last time you just sat and spent time in the book that God wrote for you to give you? Has it been a minute? Can I offer you something today? On the altar are copies of the New Testament. ESV New Testaments. I saw these in the lobby, so I grabbed them. I don't know if I'm allowed to, but I did that. I don't know if I'm writing a check for these or Bedrock Bedford, your grandma church will be, but it's okay, we'll figure it out. I want you to have one. If you don't have one of these, there's apps and there's all kinds of stuff. You can get it on your phone, but if you want just a copy to get started, if you need to come to an altar to commit to saying, I want to spend more time in your word with you, just start reading the gospel of John. Open this up, the gospel of John, just start reading. Read a proverb a day, whatever the date is, you read that chapter that day. Just start somewhere in his word. Maybe you're like, I'm good, Chris. Uh, I got all that. I was saying amen the whole time. I'm the guy wanting you to use those big words. I'm good. Do you know somebody else that needs one? When's the last time that you shared the word of God with somebody when it wasn't just for you? Maybe you know somebody, friend, family, neighbor, coworker, stranger you'll meet at a restaurant after church that might need a copy of this. They're here. So I don't know which one of those applies to you, but would you be obedient in this moment to whatever the Holy Spirit is saying? The same Holy Spirit that carried men along to write these words down might right now be carrying you to make a decision, to trust him, to spend more time with him in his word, to grab a copy of this. Wherever this message finds you, I pray right now, this altar is open for you, that you'd be obedient to whatever the Holy Spirit is carrying you along today. God, right now in this moment, I thank you for your word. It's true. We can trust it. It carries authority in my life. And so God, right now in the authority of the word of God, not not the visiting preacher from Virginia, but because you've showed us something in your word today about your perfect law is a law of liberty and we would do well to spend time in it. It's a light in a dark place. And there's people right now walking in darkness that need the light of your word. Maybe they need Jesus today. They need the word made flesh. They need to surrender their lives to Jesus as Savior and capital L-O-R-D, Lord. Might be many in this room that have done that, but it's been a long time since they spent time in your word with you. God, I'm grateful here at Bedrock. We don't worship a book. We don't worship the word of God here, but we worship the God of the word. And as worshipers of you, 
We want to come receive your word. We want to give it away. God, whatever you would call us to do, carry us along, not by our own flesh and our own wills and our own understanding, not by what we hear or read or experience or feel or know or think or say. Help us to trust you more. Carry us along by your spirit. In Jesus' name.